0: Okay, we are uh, actually in Matthew 20. We're in Matthew 20. And um, just before we get started, I would like to review, but even before we review where we've been in Matthew, for those like Teddy who who might be here for the first time, I want to remind you what, what it means to be a disciple. The reason we meet, the reason we're here is because God has called us to make disciples, and to make disciples, you have to be a disciple. And what it means to be a disciple in the Biblical Hebrew sense is to be a community. That means spend time together. And and it's time regularly together. For the disciples, they spent every day with Jesus. 24-7, every day. They went. Wherever He went, they went. It wasn't a compartment or an add-on to their life. It was a priority in their life. And one of the things I, I see in our culture, in a, a lot of churches and in a lot of men's groups is that we do it when it's convenient. We, we decide, okay, I'm going to do this because I need it, because things aren't working out in my life, or we, we, but we don't do it because we realize that that's what God created us to do. He created us to do what we're doing right now and individually to spend time with Him. See, it's both. One's interpersonal, one's intrapersonal. And the relationship with God is not either, I mean, it's just not one or the other, it's both. We are to spend time with Him individually in the Word, praying, but we're also to spend time regularly with other people in community. And that's one of the things that I think is missing in a lot of groups. If you just come to this, if all you do is just come to this on Wednesday morning, you're going to miss out. There's a lot of one-on-one conversations that take place outside of this time. Right, Riley? Yes. A lot of them. And, And so... This is just a gathering place for us to spend time regularly in the word like we're called to do, but also to build relationships so we can see each other. We go on mission trips, we go to Israel, we do, we do parties, we do retreats in the summer, but those are all just to give us a gathering place to spend time focused on God's word and fellowship where conversations take place outside of that. Second thing though is it's built around the word, the community, you can find community in a bar Right? But for believers, disciples of Jesus, it's around the Word. So the Word is an integral part. And then the last thing, and this I think the most important thing, and we've got to wrestle with this every day, do we have a passion to be like Jesus? Yeah. Do we have a passion to be like Him? Not to know about Him, but to be like Him. Amen. I mean, that, that, that is something that I wrestle with on a daily basis. Do I really want to be like Him, or am I just wanting to know about Him? Am I wanting to fix my life? Am I wanting Him to be a good luck charm, or do I really want to be like Him? For the disciples, they wanted to be like Him. They didn't start off that way. First, they just wanted Him to come fix their world. And I think that's the way a lot of us start off. But ultimately, where he wants to bring us is to the place to where we want to be like him. You know what one of the greatest compliments is, is when somebody says, I see Jesus in you. That should be our desire, that, that, that when we go out in the world, that people see Jesus in us. So, so that's kind of our vision. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. There's five core values to SWAT. The first one is God's word is our starting point and our authority. Second is prayer, staying close to our commander. And my word for 2019 is prayer. It's prayer for me. I I take a word every year and that's my kind of theme word for the year. This year it's prayer. And I did, you know, the other day I just wrote down most of you guys' names I wrote down the other day. I went through and I just started making a list of people that I'm going to pray for regularly. I mean, because I pray for you guys as a group, but I'm talking about individually. And do you know, I started just doing that the other day and before I knew it, an hour and a half had gone by. And I'm like, wow. Wow. The other day, Riley, I was sitting out in front of the Y, and I said, you know what? I didn't didn't get to pray this morning, so I'm going to pray right now. And by the time I finished praying, I had to leave. I didn't even get to work out. (laughs) I'd spent two hours out in my car praying for the people. It's not just the authority of God's Word and prayer, but it's also engaging witnesses for impact. Mm -hmm. And being a witness out in the community. And, and that's what we're called to do. And then the fourth thing is discipleship, making his last command, go make disciples our first priority. And then the fifth thing is to be a band of brothers, a community. And that's, that's, that's listen, I've got text on my phone from three SWAT guys just in the last week who are in a bad situation that need prayer, that need help. And, and, and you know what? And that's what we do. We come together, we pray, we share prayer requests, and we know that somebody's got each other's back. When Riley's struggling with his kids, he, he knows that he can come to me, and he can see me at the wire and said, hey, pray for me. You know? When, when something's going on with your grandchild, Mark knows that we're going to pray, and that you're not alone. That's the way we're supposed to be, and that's one of the values that we want to have. I want to know. When you're not here, when I call you, it's not to bug you because I need you here. It's because I'm wanting you to know that I miss seeing you here and I want to make sure that you're okay. That your family's okay. That I care about you being a part of this group. Because you know what? God wants His family to be together. And as men, we've got to support each other because this world stinks. It's hard. You know, I mean, there's times that you want to quit, but we we got each other's back, and that's what we're about. Well, we've been in Matthew for Mm -hmm. what seems like forever. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been that long, but it's been about a year, and we've been working through Matthew, verse by verse, going through passage by passage. And just to give you a quick recap, Matthew uh, was written by Levi from Jews to Jews. It was written from a Jewish perspective to a Jewish listening audience, and he wrote it to reveal the Messiah, the, the King, the one who was the coming one. And he's got more prophecies in his gospel than any other. He, he brings out the fact that Jesus is that one. He's the promised one. He starts off with the genealogy in chapter 1, and he talks about it, and he lists four women in there. You would never list, actually five, you would never list because they're scandalous. But he starts off the Gospel with grace, and the whole message of Matthew is one of grace. His life story is one of grace. He's sitting at a tax booth greedy, not doing anything seeking God, and God sovereignly walks by and says, I want you to follow me. And he does and it changes his life forever and so he writes this gospel revealing Jesus as the king in chapter 2 it's the announcement and and the actually the coming of the king chapter 3 is the one who was the announcer John the Baptist chapter 4 is about him selecting his disciples and actually being proven the right one when he goes into the desert and goes against Satan in the battle there he proves he is the king in chapter 5, 6, and 7, the king lays out kind of his discourse, his What it what does it mean to be in his kingdom? And he, he clarifies for the Jewish people the law, what it was. It wasn't just about the external, it was about the internal. And he makes a very telling statement in Matthew 7. He says, there's going to be many who think they are mine, but they're not mine. Many who, who will say, I did this for you, and I did this, because it was never about what people did. And and you know we saw last week or not last week but the last time we were together about a guy who went up and said what must I do what can I do what is the one thing I can do to be in the kingdom and Jesus said go sell everything if you want to be perfect and sometimes that's misconstrued sometimes people think well does that mean that if you have money that you can't get into heaven no that's not was the point The point was, Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, key word there, that's the requirement for what you have to do. You have to be perfect. Nobody's perfect except for Him. So we can't do it. It's impossible. The disciples recognized this. They said it's impossible to do that. He said, you're right. What's not possible with man is possible with God. You see, because it's only through Christ. That was the whole point. But what he was doing for that young man was he was telling him, the idol in your heart is your money. You need to sell everything and go give that money to the poor. And he couldn't do it. He went away sad. Why? Because he really didn't want what Jesus had more than he wanted his money. And the issue for us is, if there's anything more important than Jesus, you don't understand what he offers. Amen. I don't believe it. You don't understand what he's offering you if there's anything, and I say anything, more important than him. And we struggle with that in this life because we go, well, yeah, but that's not practical. I mean, you know, I mean, I can't, and it's not about church. It's not about a Bible study. It's about him. It's about him. And understanding you can't take him as Savior and reject him as Lord. You can't. It's two sides of the same coin. And so when you embrace Him as Savior, what you're saying is, I want to be in your family. I want to be on your train, and I'm letting you be the captain of that ship and the captain of that train. You're the conductor. I'm I'm on here with you. I trust you. And I'm going to tell you, He's going to take you places you may not want to go. He's going to take you through things you may not want to go through, but you can trust Him. He's a good God. I love what it says. C.S. Lewis says, Yeah, he's dangerous, but he's good. He's dangerous, but he's good. And you can trust him. So, the end of that, when he dealt with the rich young ruler, Peter, like he always does, just shouts out what's on his mind and says, hey, we've left everything, Lord. What about us? What do we get? And Jesus says, Peter... You're going to be ruling with me, but then he throws this statement in at the end of chapter 19. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Do you understand what that means? That's a that's a like a proverb. <coughs> many who are first will be last, and the last first. And at the same, it, it brackets today's passage. That verse starts it really. And then verse 16 ends it, and verse 16 says the last will be first and the first last. Think about that for a second. What does that mean? If you have a race, let's say we've got a race, and me and Kent are running. And somebody said, who won? And, and somebody goes, well, the first was last and the last was first. What does that mean? It's a dead heat, right? If the first is last and the last is first, it's, everybody finishes the same. <laughs> we all finish together. And that's what he's saying. There's, there, there's equality there. And, and so he tells a parable here in Matthew 20, a story. And we know parables were told for the disciples, what? To actually implement what he was doing. And what, what you got to remember, this is on the heels of Peter going, we've left everything. So his disciples are saying, what's in it for us? And if they're saying that, it reveals they have a motivation that's not right. And so Jesus is gonna deal with that. So when you think about serving the Lord, who is that for? Do you think only pastors are the only ones called to serve the Lord? Missionaries? I mean, church staff? Are you called to serve the Lord? If you're a believer, uh, let me just say that. If you're a believer, are you called to serve the Lord? Amen. Yes, if you know do you me, have conviction for that? I mean, do you, do you believe that? If you're a believer, are you called to serve the Lord? Amen. Yeah, All right. If you're called to serve the Lord, why do we serve the Lord? What's the motivation? Is it because of eternal rewards? Eternal rewards are mentioned. But is that our motivation? You see, that's what Peter was displaying when he said we've left everything what do we get in other words he's wanting to know what the carrot is out there what is it that's motivating me lord to to do all this stuff what's in it for us we've left everything so jesus tells his story starting in verse 20 or chapter 20 verse 1 for the kingdom of heaven is like that that means that he's telling you okay this is what it's like it's a parable a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day he sent them into his vineyard and going out about the third hour he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and he said to them Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. Now on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go and I choose to give to the last workers I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. In this passage, I think three things pop out about this particular story. First is, God calls us to serve Him out of gratitude, not expectation. It's a big difference. He calls us to serve Him out of gratitude. It's not what we expect we're going to get. Second is he calls us to celebrate his compassion and grace for others, not complain about it. That's a very bad tendency that we have when other people are rewarded with grace and compassion. Sometimes it makes us angry, we get frustrated with that. And then the third thing I see in this passage is he calls us to be teachable when a blind spot is revealed. He calls us to be teachable. So serve him out of gratitude, not expectation, uh, to celebrate his compassion and grace on others, not complain, and then to be teachable when a blind spot revealed. Let's look at each of these. I'll say, So you got this master. Now, first of all, let me just say that in that culture, there were vineyards and fields, and, and a, a person who owned a piece of property rarely was the one who went and hired the laborer. He had a supervisor he would send. And what it would be like, if you've ever driven downtown, you'll see people sometimes standing on the street corner near certain places where they know people will come to get what they call day laborers. It's the same over in Israel. There's places outside certain gates, even to this day in Israel, where people will gather and people will come get the day laborers. They usually come early in the morning and they'll get them and they'll take them out. Well, this particular time, this master went out. Most masters didn't go out. So that tells you a little bit of something about the master. The person who's doing it. The master in the story is God. It represents God. And he's not a God who's sending somebody else out. He's going, he's going out to, the, to, to hire people, and it says he went out the third hour. Well, first it says he went early in the morning. Now, the Jewish day started at 6 a.m., sunrise. It started at 6 a.m. So he goes out early in the morning. So who's usually the first people that are going to get the jobs? When you go, if you were going and you were tasked to go hire a day laborer, who are you going to get first? The ones that are typically the, the ones that look like they're the best workers, right? You're not going to pick the slouches at first. You're going to go and you're going to go after the ones that you think are going to be the hardest workers. You're going to look for the ones who present themselves well. So he's there early and he meets these people. And it says they negotiated, they came to an agreement because the first ones know they can negotiate. They know they got more skills or more talents. And so they're gonna negotiate. And so they uh, came to an agreed price. The agreed price was one denarius. That was one day's wage for a soldier back then. A, A denarius was one day's wage. And it was something that would provide for their family for one day. (laughs) and so that's what they agreed to but then he comes back later and he comes back it says the third hour that's about nine o'clock and there's still people there and so he comes back he doesn't negotiate with these people he just says hey come come work for me And 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 he says trust me basically I'll be fair That's what he says. He says, the third hour he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said, you go in the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. Now, those people probably did not think they would get a denarius. Why? Because there had been people already working for three hours. But then he does something even more amazing. He comes back again at 12 noon. And he does the same thing. And then he comes back at three in the afternoon, does the same thing, says the same thing. He says, hey, you can trust me, I'll take care of you. Now, the ones in the beginning of the morning were the only ones that negotiated with him. And we'll see at the end of the story, you heard it read, did he give them what they bargained for? Yes, He did. And do you know, sometimes we want to bargain with God and we miss out on greater blessings because we bargain with Him. God, will you give me this? And He wants to give us so much more. God, I'll do this, but I want you to do this for me. You see, we serve Him oh, out of gratitude. We don't bargain with God and say, God, I'm going to do this. I want to serve you for this. We serve Him out of gratitude. Why? Why? Because He's redeemed us from the wrath of God. We've been redeemed. Nobody deserves anything. None of these workers deserve to work in His field. But He gave them the opportunity to go. We don't deserve to be able to tell somebody about Jesus. We don't deserve to pray for anybody, to be able to have access to God. We don't deserve to be able to to come worship freely. Why do we get to come worship freely in a place like this where we don't have to fear police coming in here arresting us and we have brothers losing their heads and being tortured over in the Middle East? We don't deserve this. And yet, sometimes we get angry with God because he doesn't meet our expectations. I did this for you. I did all these things. And why is my life so messed up? I think of Ross. Ross has lived a life of loving God as long as I've known him. All he wanted was to be delivered from cancer. His wife battled cancer. See, we see those things as a terrible, terrible blight. And and the enemy attacks us with those things. And why wouldn't God deliver Ross? Why wouldn't he deliver him from that? Well, you see in Job a lot of wisdom into the insight of God that God sometimes displays his glory through people going through suffering that continue to maintain faith in him. And they serve God by weathering the storm with hope and weathering the storm it's easy for people to say i love god when everything's great in your life oh i love god and and it it becomes so superficial but there's a depth there when you go through the valley and you go through the pain and you love god and you talk about god with love and hope and trust Ecclesiastes 4.4 says we work out of envy a lot of times. In fact, the thing that motivates us is I look at what somebody else has and I'm going to work hard because I'm going to get that. Think back to Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. We said the Shema this morning, Deuteronomy 6, God says, you know what? You, you, You have wells that you didn't fill, cities that you didn't build. All these things I gave you, you didn't do this. See, we have this tendency. I was talking to a guy the other day. He said he was struggling because he said, you know, I just it never seems to work out right. You know, I mean, I do. I mean, I believe, you know, God's given me stuff, but he's given me the talents and I've got to go out and I've got to do it. I've got to go out and do it. We do have to work. We do work, but our work is not why we get paid. We get paid because God provides for us. We don't work to bring in an income. We work to glorify God. He brings in the money. He brings in the blessing. He brings in the fruit. We work because we glorify God in doing that and He created us to do that. It's part of the curse that we go work the ground, whatever that looks like. We were never created to sit on a boat in the middle of the Atlantic for the rest of our life. That's not why we were created. Now, is it wrong to go enjoy that? Sorry, (laughs) Phil, I'm not picking on you. (laughs) No, I'm just saying that we're not created to retire and just sit out there and do nothing. Our whole life, we're created to serve Him. And what that looks like is different for every person. But we were created to serve Him out of gratitude, not out of expectation. And that's convicting to me. It's very convicting. But then something interesting happens. When, when the owner calls the people to him, he, or he tells the, the supervisor to pay him, because that was uh, Deuteronomy twenty four fifteen says that the wages should be paid before the end of the day to somebody when they do work. That's what they were commanded to do. If you hire a day laborer, you pay them by the end of the day. You don't put it off says that's sin if they put it off. And so he was bringing them in to pay them, and he told his supervisor, hey, pay the last first. That was not normal. Normally, you pay the people that were there the longest, you pay them first. And think about what would have happened if he would have done that. If he paid those people, they get their money and they leave, right? But he had a purpose in what he was doing. He was teaching something here in the story, and he said, no, bring the last first. And everybody's thinking, okay, they're gonna get paid part of a denarii. They're gonna get paid some smaller thing, and he gives them a denarius. He gives them a denarius. All while all the other workers are sitting there watching that go on. And so in their mind, they start calculating, okay, he gave these people here one hour because the 11th hour was 5 o'clock in the afternoon. One hour, they get a whole denarius? That's what we negotiated for. That means we're going to get 12 denarius. The whole 12 next days are covered for us. And then they saw him give the next group a denarius. And they're going, what? That ain't right. But they said, that ain't right. And then the guys that were there at noon got a Daenerys. Then the ones at nine got a Daenerys. And by the time it gets to them, they're angry. They're just flat out angry. This is not right. They were here one hour. They were here three hours. They were here six hours. They were here nine. We were here 12 hours. And we get the same thing? That's not right. what would you have done do we get angry when we look at people that get blessed we work harder than they do we do more than they do and they just seem to just always get stuff handed to them we go why why is that it just doesn't seem right. I, I, this guy I was talking to the other day he said, I was working my tail off. I'm sitting there and watching this kid because he can throw a football. He's going to get millions of dollars talking about the kid from Clemson. It ain't right. Yeah. Yeah, Doug, I'm, I'm looking at this too and we, we all get a blessing from God and we all get the same blessing in this room and that's salvation. And it's no different for me or for you or for, you know, didn't even think of the thief on the cross. He got saved after being a follower for minutes. Mm-hmm. And we all get the same gift. But that, that's the whole point of what he's saying here. The point is that, that we all are equal in being blessed with salvation. Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to Peter and the disciples. Peter just voiced what they all were thinking, but he's dealing with the disciples. But the issue here is he's telling the story. And Remember, for an Easterner, when they're hearing a story like this, they're putting themselves in. They're trying to figure out who they are. And up until this point, they're going, okay, we're the workers. We're the workers. We're the workers. Now they're finding out which worker they are. And they're the workers that are complaining. Hey, we left everything. We left our family. We left all this. What do we get? And Jesus is saying, don't, hey, don't not celebrate other people who I'm gracious to. Because the issue here is God's grace is available to all equally. Everybody. Doesn't matter which race doesn't matter which, uh, what's your ethnic background. It doesn't matter your economic background. We have a tendency sometimes to look down on people because they have not uh, put in the effort like we have. I've, done, I've read my Bible, man. I've done all this, and he gets the same thing I get. We should embrace those that God brings into his family. We should embrace his compassion on people. Why is it, and what is it, that's so corrupt about the human nature that every time we see other people blessed, we get angry about it? We get frustrated and we envy people. Jesus said, I came for the sick, I came for the hurting. He doesn't wish any to perish, but the same word about grumbling here and complaining is the word that's used talking about Moses and Aaron back in Numbers and even God when the children of Israel complained against God. And it's this complaining. Why did they get this God and I don't? It shows a lack of trust in His sovereignty. It shows a lack of trust in His love. He knew what He was doing when He was telling this story and He said, Go get the last and pay them first. He wanted the first to see his generosity because he wanted them to celebrate his grace and compassion for others. But he didn't leave it there. They were grumbling. They were complaining. And down in verse 13, but he replied to one of them, friend, but that word really isn't a good... It's not really a good translation, friend. It should be fellow. Really like fellow. Buddy, it's kind of the only two other times it's used in the New Testament, it's kind of in a rebuke. Uh, It's used over in Matthew 22 and Matthew 26, referring to Judas. It's like, buddy, it's like a bad term. It's not, it it was in a corrective term. And he says, Buddy, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a Daenerys? In other words, didn't we make an agreement? So, was there any contractual issue here? If they go to court, do they have a problem? No. Why? He told him he would do it for Daenerys. They came out and they did it for Daenerys. Mm -hmm. So, contractually, he was good. What about morally? Did he did he violate any moral standard by paying that guy what he told him he would do, but also choosing to give somebody else something else? He gave a guy who worked less more than he, he gave him what He wanted to give him. Whose money was it? His money. It was His money. He can do what He wants Lord with His money. Amen. And so, it, the fact that He didn't give this one guy more means that the issue is not fairness. The issue is jealousy and envy. Listen to James chapter 3. Look down at 14. But if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast and be false to the truth this is not the wisdom that comes from above but is earthly unspiritual and demonic is that clear (laughs) I'm gonna read that again this is not the wisdom that comes from above but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic when you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. In the King James, it translates, and, and actually in this case, it's a, it's a pretty accurate. The Greek is, is your eye evil? That's what the Greek actually says. Is your eye evil? And if you go back to Matthew 6, if your eye is bad, what happens to the whole body? The whole body's bad. And so, so what he's saying is, it, 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 it actually is. He says, the reason, are you begrudging my generosity? Are you, are you jealous of what I'm doing? The issue is, <laughs> it, it doesn't resolve there at the end, you know? He doesn't say what happened after he rebuked them. He just says, am I not allowed to do what I choose to do with what belongs with me, or do you begrudge my generosity? And there's no resolution. There's no response. And I think the reason that there's no response is because he wanted them to be the ones to respond, the disciples who were listening. And the issue for us is, as we listen to this, are we teachable? When when we hear a truth like this about a potential blind spot, when somebody points out a blind spot to us, are we teachable? I, I think it's really important for us as we move into 2019 to ask this question: what is my motive for service? Why am I serving the Lord this year? What what am I what am I doing for him? And why am I doing it? I think it's really important to remember, I just jotted down some things. It's it's not our worthiness or effort, but it's God's grace and His sovereign will. Every day. Not just at the beginning, but every day and part of our growth and all that, it's His grace and will. He initiates salvation. He sets the terms for salvation. He sets the path for our life. We can choose to go outside that path that he wants for us. Sometimes it's very clear, and we keep trying to push through doors that he's closed because we have a different agenda than God. But he's merciful, and he's always looking. You know, I'm struck by that. He comes back at the end of the day, one hour. Why does the king come back? Why does the master of the house come back at the end of the day, one hour before closing, before people finish working? To see, He's merciful. He's always looking. Why? Because those guys have been standing out there all day. Nobody hires them. Nobody wants them. He wants the unwantable. He wants the unlovable. He wants the unusable. And He says, I'll take them. I'll take them and I'll give them dignity. I'll put them out. And I'm not just going to give them a handout. I'm not just going to give them a free load here. I'm going to get them and I'm going to take them and they're going to work and I'm going to reward them and I choose how to reward them. I mean, I, I, I I've gotten to where I, I don't give any homeless person just money, but I'll offer them a job. Why? Because there's something that gives respect to them to know that they're earning, they're earning the money, you're not just giving them a handout. You're giving them opportunity. And that's what he did. We all have been given an opportunity that we don't deserve. And we should be grateful. We should be thankful. God redeems the willing, the dependent, and the needy. And the truth is, sometimes we don't feel needy. We feel like we've got our lives together. But we are all needy. And the biggest thing I got out of this whole thing is he gives us more than we deserve. He gives us all more than we deserve. There's not a guy in this room who deserves anything he has, not one of us. But we get lulled by the world into believing that we do, and that's what happens. Ambition creeps in, expectation creeps in. And listen, there's nothing wrong with asking God for things. What's wrong is when you start demanding things from God. We don't deserve anything. We serve out of gratitude. We celebrate his grace and we're teachable. That's what he's trying to get across in this passage today. Uh, David, will you close our time of prayer?